Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Aircule. Aircule is an agency focused solely on organic growth for B2B SaaS brands. I've worked with them before, and I can tell you I've never felt so confident and in control of my content strategy, SEO, and analytics. They also have this great free tool, Automo, that translates Google Analytics into actual usable data. Which pages are killing it, which ones are declining, and what you can do about it. Check them out and give Automo a whirl at E-R-C-U-L-E dot C-O. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is season two, episode one of That's Marketing Baby. I am Jess Cook, head of content at Lasso, and I'm here with my bestie that I haven't seen in so long. I hope you all are honored because <laughs> we're always like, man, I got to put on makeup and stuff. Got to look all presentable like. So yeah, how was your summer? It was good. Really good. Yeah, really I nice. I know. We did all of the summer things. We like went to the fair. We went to the pool. We went to Disney. Yeah, we all got, American summer, man. Yeah, it was, it was great. How was yours? It was good. We took a... For those of you that don't know, we own an RV, so like the big bus kind. We took that up to Stowe, Vermont, which is like now my favorite place on the planet because it's just so clean and so nicely 72 degrees during the summer oh, as opposed yeah. to like the 98 degrees here with the 110 heat index. So I didn't miss that too much, but it was really nice to be up there for that. So jumping into fall now, yeah, getting my head back in the game before Q4 insanity hits. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. It's very exciting. So a couple updates. We decided to start doing video. People had asked if we would consider it and we're like, okay, so now you can listen to us on audio or you'll be able to listen to us and see us on YouTube as well. So yeah, big stuff. We also started a newsletter and that is called Rants and Raves. And Susan and I have a lot of opinions <laughs> and some of them don't always fit into the show. And we thought we still need to get these out. We need to air these things. Yeah. And so, yeah, we started at Rants and Raves. So it's like every week you get one rant and one rave from both Susan and I for a grand total of two rants and two raves. Mm -hmm. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. And that's been going great. So if you're not already signed up for that, we'll drop a link in the show notes. You can get signed up and get more from us. Yes. And a big thank you to everybody that signed up. It's been nice to see the numbers crawling up every week. For sure. We're excited that you've invited us into your inbox, as we say. So thank you. That's right. So, okay. New episode, new season. What are we talking about yes. today, Jess? Today, we are talking about product launches. Yeah. Especially coming into Q4. And there's all this interesting stuff that's going to be happening. And you've done quite a few product launches. So I was really interested talking with you about this. Processes you've been through and how you decide things and then... We were kind of swapping notes about what it means to be the media person executing yeah. some of that because we were technically not usually very involved until more than halfway through. Like there's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that happens before the media person really gets roped into it other than just like, where do you think you're going to want to promote this? And then yes. I won't hear anything for months and they're like here and then creative shows <laughs> up and I'm like, eh. 
BT dubs, it's ready now. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> sweet. We traded a lot of thoughts about this and we thought this would be make for a good episode. So yeah. Do you, do you want to go ahead and start, Jess, with kind of the first I chunk that we wanted to discuss? Love to. Yeah. So we kind of broke this down into like, think about, consider, measure, and just things that have worked for us as we've done product launches or, or product announcements. And the first thing that we wanted to talk about is messaging and validation. So you get handed down from leadership, like we're launching or announcing either one, this product on X date, right? And kind of the first marching order is like, what are we going to say about this? What are the main features? What are some of the benefits? What's the kind of differentiated value that our audience is going to care about? This is a lot of product marketing work, but our team at Lasso and so many other teams I know out there don't have a product marketer, right? So it's kind of like the role of marketing in general to like figure that out. What are we going to say? A lot of that comes down to talking to the product team, talking to leadership, sometimes even talking to the the developers, the folks who are building it, right? Like maybe there's, depending on your audience, the differentiation is like how it's built. So just really nailing that down, the features, the benefits in the agency world, we used to call this the SMIT, the single most important thing. Like what is the one takeaway you want your audience to remember about this product? Positioning, all of those things. But I think even more important is how are you going to know that that's going to work before mm-hmm. you put it out in the wild? Yeah. And one thing to consider is like, okay, first, who's it going to? One, your audience, but also is this customer facing? Is it prospect facing? Is it both? If it's both, there's probably a nuance, right? Because prospects potentially have never heard of you or only tangentially aware of you. Customers are already onboarded. They understand who you are, what you do, right? So the messaging around that is going to be a little different. And then Susan, I'd love to, because I know you have tons of experience in this, talk to you about what does the validation of that look like? How am I going to know this is actually going to resonate? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. This actually feeds into one of the companies that I do marketing advising with as part of my consultancy. And I think I have soft spot for this because so many times that is it working? Did we, are we talking about this right? The way that that gets found out is they spend a lot of money on media and it doesn't work. I've witnessed that again and again, where there wasn't really any message validation done ahead of time. And they really rely on the AB testing and media to discover that. And I think it's one thing to do that in D2C, which I mean, yes, D2C has gotten very expensive, but B2B on LinkedIn is very expensive, right? The data pools are smaller, they take longer to accrue. So that's a very laborious way to find out if something's not working. So I really love, and part of the reason I have so much fun doing marketing for winter, which is a W-Y-N-T-E-R. One of the things that I love is that I can see all the message testing. So it lets companies have the option to go through and say, hey, I want to get feedback from 10 CMOs on these value propositions, or I need to better understand why they would leave a provider they're with. So kind of all those questions that can either A, help make the messaging something they'll really adhere to and like really be interested in and or just validating what are the things that this is fixing that someone would need and getting that feedback ahead of time, I think is so valuable. And it's always interesting to go through and because I can see the test results and kind of see the comments that are left on some of these tests. And it's always really interesting to see the things that are missing that are very obvious to people that do these tests because they don't see each other's responses or anything, but they'll comment on the same things. You'll see the same comments over and over. And that's when you know, like when it becomes a theme, you're like, oh, it's really missing. It's important. And it's not that it's a hundred person survey question. Like you don't need stat sig to be able to (laughs) look at 
10 responses and have them all say, I don't understand what the product actually does. Okay. That's a problem, <laughs> right? You don't need a hundred yeah. people to tell you that. So I love things like that, that help bridge that gap between putting something out there and spending a lot of money against it and just finding like, what are those easy things that you could have fixed? And sometimes it's just, yeah. you'll see teens that'll be like, God, they're just smacking their, it's right. It doesn't, we don't address that. Like, because it's, they're so close to the product and they're so yes. familiar with it. What seems it seems obvious to them. Yes. It's like those, okay, time for analogies. Cause oh, here's an analogy. Analogy. wouldn't be an episode without we need a, We need an analogy jingle. Like a little sound effect. We all, Let's work we on do, that. We do. I mean, we, there's an analogy every Analogy episode. time. <laughs> ding, ding. It's like those things that, you know, people will post them on Facebook where like almost every word is spelled wrong, but it'll be like, you're still able to read this because your brain fills in the gap. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a bravo <laughs> because that was beautiful. Okay. You can We didn't continue. imagine it made sense. <laughs> For sometimes, they're, sometimes we're reaching a bit. So I feel like it's those things, right? Where it's like their brains are automatically filling in the pieces. And I've been guilty of that, especially, especially when yeah. I first started doing workshops and training, I always had this assumption that people knew more than they did, right? Because it, I had to really take myself back to when I didn't know anything about this platform. And now I've trained myself to be able to rethink that way as someone that's totally new to something. But it's very hard for teams to do that, especially if it's a product that's been in development for two years and they've seen 50,000 iterations of it. Like they're so familiar yeah. with it. Going back and seeing it with fresh eyes is next to impossible. So any chance that you have to just spend the money to get that kind of feedback, I think is so valuable. And some companies really balk at that. But my point has always been, you're going to spend, I mean, your media budget is five times that. And you might spend all of that just to find out it didn't work. Yeah. So it's, and then you have a problem. Yeah. I'm like, you're tripping over dollars to pick up pennies at that point. You're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. That's not even counting just the labor time that goes into creating something where you have to go back and change all the messaging. So I feel yeah. like that validation piece is something that a lot of companies just sort of skip over. And I don't know if it's because they don't realize there are options to do those things or if they just don't talk to customers, like maybe it's a cultural yeah. thing. There are a lot of places that don't, as you've seen. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like there's a big gap there between with companies that really do that due diligence beforehand. Two thoughts here. I think a lot of it has to do with we're always in a rush, right? We never build in the time for that. If you can build in the time, even just like a week for validation, that will make a huge difference. I think a lot of people just don't even give themselves or leadership doesn't give them that time 30 days before the launch. It's like we're launching yeah. in 30 days. And it's like so they know that out. the product is needed. And I think they just assume that that's going to be enough. You yeah, know, it's like exactly. they know that this is solving a problem. So that's going to be enough. And it's like, yeah, well, it's enough reason to make the product, but that doesn't mean it's going to sell it. So yes. it's a big distinction. Precisely. I think the other thing to mention with this is customer advisory boards are great for this kind of thing. So if you have a cab, amazing. If you don't, like just reach out to a couple of customers you're really close with. Does this resonate with you? Is this total garbage? Is it missing something? If you saw this, how would you feel, right? Any time that you can, even if you're only talking to a couple, it's better than zero. Yeah, totally agree. And you had mentioned yeah. something too. I feel like this kind of goes along with the validation thing. I was really intrigued by it because it gives you something that you can use further just beyond the validation. You're telling about the mm. kind of the research and survey piece. So like in my world, I yeah. look at that, I'm like, we need it for validation. But I loved the way that you were saying that you've done it before so that you could actually use that data for something. Yeah. So just to give a little context behind this at Lasso, just in this year alone, so from like January to July, we had four product launches slash announcements. So it felt like we were just sprinting from like one to the next. 
It was awesome. Learned a ton, got a ton of buzz, but there was real logistics and strategy kind of involved in all that. So we'll share some of that today too. But something that we did that I loved was with each of these product announcements, like, oh, hey, inventory is coming. Oh, hey, logistics is coming. We issued a survey to prospects and customers that allowed us to validate, again, the need for this tool we were coming out with. So we would ask questions around like, what is your current process like? These are not the questions, but we're trying to get at the pain of it and kind of quantifying the pain around the current process or tools or situation so that when it came time for the product to actually launch or once we've announced it and now we're kind of trying to drive people signing up for the wait list or getting a demo for it, we have these really interesting statistics around like, only 17% of people are very satisfied with what they pay for trucking to ship their gear. That's a big deal. That's a great stat. And, you know, I've said this before, but like original research is so big now in this world of AI that you own it. It can't be generated by some machine. You have to really understand your customers in the market to get to it. So super powerful if you can do something like that, even if it's scrappy five questions that you're sending to just customers, it can give you some really interesting insights. Yeah. Like you are the repurposing queen. <laughs> so yes. I've learned my ways <laughs> for you. God, there's another just repurposing. That's what the girl does. That's right. Another thing that we had talked about, and I thought it was interesting because it's something that I think really initially comes from your world, but there's so much benefit to it in the media side that I don't think you yeah. consider is to have what you call the centerpiece. So yeah. take us through that and then I'll touch on why that's so crucial on the media side too. For sure. Okay. So something that feels really important, especially if you have a small team, is to rally a product launcher announcement around one thing, one asset, one piece of creative, because what that does is it gives so much power to that one thing. And it gets your entire team kind of like driving to it, right? So it's going to get the maximum impact that it can have. So for instance, when we launched inventory, we had this great video, went down to Nashville and shot. That was the reveal and really fun video. Like we got a ton of buzz from it. People super excited. But that video we used in social, we used it in email, we used it on the website. We used it in like our chat bot website. We actually embedded it in the product for customers to see that this new product was coming. We just used it everywhere. It was the ad, yeah. right? We used it in video and gift form. So we were able to just show this thing and it felt so big mm -hmm. because it felt like everywhere you turned, if you were in this industry, in the events industry, you saw it. Maybe you saw it multiple times that day because you saw it in our social feed and then you logged into the product and it was there, or you got an email because you were a prospect and you also saw it in social. So it felt again, like way bigger than we are mm -hmm. for a small team, but it felt like a really big effort had been put behind it. It doesn't have to be a video. It can be a downloadable asset that everyone kind of rallies around. So think about what is that thing mm -hmm. that is going to drive interest in this new product and just pick one and just double down on it hard. Yeah. I think this is where I was kind of saying it's very helpful on the media side. And I feel like most people underestimate that, but there are so many times on the media side where a brand will say, well, what should we run? They'll come to you and say, yeah. and I'm going, what, how are you marketing it outside of, don't change it just because it's going to be running in media, right? It's like, yes, the format right. will be different. We might have to switch some things around so that it works to have a, a bigger hook in the beginning or whatever, but we shouldn't recreate the wheel. Like it still needs to feel like your other stuff. So yeah. 
it's really hard when I've been parts of, sometimes it's a launch, sometimes it's just ongoing marketing where they don't have that anchor. So you wind up feeling like you're creating something where you're going, I know this will work well on media, but it might feel really disconnected from everything else you guys are doing. There's no coordination. So yep. my favorite is when there is that kind of centerpiece, because we all know what we're looking towards. And I understand what are the benchmarks I need to be looking at. I know if I am launching this out there, if people click through on the ad, they're going to land on something that makes sense, or they're going to land yes. on an experience that's consistent. And there are so many times where it hasn't. And as the media person, the brand will come back to you and be like, what are you doing wrong with the media? You're not driving this is, any It demos. makes you look bad, yes. right? And I'm yeah. like, it's, hey, I'm not the type of person to be like, well, it's not me. You know what? Because I mean, I'm, yeah. it's just, I don't like to, to me, I'm like, we all have to row in the same direction. Yeah. But it's really hard. And they come back and they're like, what are you doing wrong with the media? Nothing's happening. I'm like, well, have you seen the page? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but have you seen the page they're going to? They don't go together. Yeah. And that's usually where you'll see things like, the on-platform metrics will look great, right? Click-through rates will be healthy. Like there's engagement on the post, but it's not translating to other stuff. Usually the yeah. first thing I'll say is like, what's happening when they get to the site? That's where looking yeah. at analytics, do they land on the page and like, what the hell? And they leave? Are they landing yeah. just seeing a really high price point? That is something we can address in the creative, right? On the media side. So at least when there is that overall thing of what you're all looking at, it makes it so much easier it's shocking how many places don't come with that. It feels like it's one or the other. They either show up and they're like, here's all the assets for it. And you look at them and know they're not going to work well, especially in B2B. It just ends up being very corporate a lot of times. You know, I'm kind of like, you need to reformat this for humans, right? It's like the uh, message is yes. fine, but like we need to make this sound more like a person. It's like, here are all the things run it. And there's just been no advising whatsoever about what would actually work on media. Or they just come, they're like, what should we make? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what yeah. are you doing everywhere else? There seems to be a dawning awareness that like your tactics have to match your overall yeah. like strategy and tactics aren't the same thing, but it still feels like sometimes they still approach it. Like, what's our media strategy? I'm like, well, the strategy is going to be how we buy and who we target, but it's also yeah. about what we say. And that just can't be, it can't pop out of a media person's head. So yeah, we need like in Clueless where like she would put her outfit together and like on that computer, yes. and it would be like mismatch, mismatch. And then Analogy it's like a match. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we need the share Horowitz. This creative and this landing page don't go together. Try again. Oh I would love that. <laughs> I bet AI will be able to do that in the future. It'll just scan it and be like, these two things don't match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing on this. If you have the same centerpiece, it helps you test the messaging. Mm -hmm attached to that centerpiece, right? So if you use that same centerpiece in three ads, but you slightly change like the copy of the post, right? The promoted post or whatever, mm -hmm. like you can find like, oh, if it's the same piece over and over, but this particular hook, headline, whatever, really one, like let's put more money behind that. There's a lot of pros to having kind of that one piece just in terms of like, you'll know what's working and you'll know why. Yeah, yeah. That's Marketing Baby is sponsored by Teal. If you're a B2B marketer looking to make your next right career move, Teal can help you leapfrog your resume to the top of the stack. Their AI resume builder helps you tailor your resume to specific open positions fast. All you have to do is import your resume or LinkedIn profile one time and Teal does the rest. It even uses AI to rephrase your experience and achievements so they really pop. Even better, it's free to get started at tealhq.com. All right, back to the show. Okay, so something else you brought up was the waitlist idea. 
Yeah. And I thought that was really fascinating. I've done that stuff on the media side and I, I really like it <laughs> to like yeah. drive to the waitlist piece. I thought your stats about what that looks like post-launch and stuff was really interesting. Yeah. So a couple of the product launches we did this year, we weren't quite ready to demo them yet, but we wanted to kind of make a little noise in the market that it was coming. And so it was more of an announcement than a launch. So we couldn't get demos of it yet because the product hadn't fully been built, but we wanted people who were interested to be able to raise their hand and say they were interested. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we said, sign up for the wait list. When it's ready, you'll know. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting about that was we've gone back to that email list a couple of times now of people who signed up on the wait list for project management, signed up on the wait list for logistics or inventory. And they have been the highest, most engaged lists that we have of contacts in our CRM. It was interesting to me because you're like, of course they would be. But to me, right. there was part of me that's like, it's interesting to me that their attention didn't wane. Yeah. You know I mean, like to me, I yeah. actually find it, it's not what I thought it would be when you told me that. You know, I was like, oh, I kind of expected you would have seen more of a drop off. So I thought it was interesting that they have stayed consistent all the way through. It wasn't like yes. they saw the product and they're like, oh, that wasn't what I thought, or oh, it's missing these things I wanted. Like they stayed very into it. I thought that was really interesting. Yes. And not only were they interested in the product they signed up for the waitlist for, they were interested in other things too, mm -hmm. other products, other announcements from us. So that's just something to think about. If maybe it's not quite ready for demo, if you're trying to just make a little bit of noise, kind of have some sort of marketable moment before your earnings call, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You need to make some noise for your earnings call. <laughs> you got analogy to me. You've had two now. <laughs> oh, that was just like, I couldn't think of the word. And then I did. Those are some things you can do to like, help derive some leads, at least get some people that are interested and like have them in a list. So when you're ready, you can go to those yeah. people first. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk media. Yeah. How do you take all this and make sense of it on the media side? So there's a few ways. And I think in B2B, I really feel like the episode I've referred people to the most is my content working one. Yeah. And really mapping out your short term, what am I looking at every day to make sure incrementally we're going the right way versus overall, what do we see happening? And I actually have a great case study of this for, I shared it with you earlier, but there's a client that I advise and manage their LinkedIn and they're a large enterprise IT type thing. Like I don't want to be too specific, but theirs is a long sales cycle. You know, they have very niche audiences and they have launched their product for different kinds of IT frameworks. So we had launched one in June and it was difficult because you're looking for IT decision makers, but they really only work within this framework. And there's not a way to filter for that in LinkedIn. Yeah. So a lot of times what I'll first try to understand is who is it we're trying to target? Am I able to get that granular, right? And if we're not able to get that granular, then it becomes, okay, what are you thinking for the creative? Because I want to make sure the creative is very specific. I don't want to get clicks yeah. from people that aren't going to be the right folks because I want to train LinkedIn for who I'm looking for since I can't specify the targeting. So I'll try and understand, so I try and understand what is it? we're going after? And then what's the content you're creating for it, right? So for these guys, we figured out after six weeks of testing, anything carousel just kills it for them. The carousels murder it for them on crazy. And I think it's much more visually stimulating. I think it feels more interactive. It feels more personal than just like a typical IT. It has kind of a sense of humor. And I worked with the team on some of the copy where one of the things that it helps with disaster recovery and stuff like that. And so all of it didn't sound very scary. 
And I'm like, it's not that I want to scare people. Yeah. I'm like, this actually is really scary. If <laughs> This happens. Yeah. Like, this is really bad. So how do we make that a lot more obvious? You don't want to just be like, oh, in case this thing happens. It's like, no, if this happens, the world stops for this company. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. So yeah. working with them to kind of highlight what is, they're helping you avoid a worst case scenario. Don't be shy yeah. about that. It's not that you're scaring people. You're not being a doomsday. This is literally what happens and you're helping people not experience that. So yeah. it's helping the team understand even though it's B2B, how do you make it emotional? Because no yes. IT person wants to be up through their weekend fixing this, right? Yeah, totally. So it was kind of aligning that to make sure like we're speaking to the things that it fixes for them, the potential outcomes of not having it, making it more personal. Who are we targeting? It's a specific type of IT person who would be worried about this very specific 100%. problem. Yep. Yeah. And with the media at this point, I usually recommend... I start out with all my clients. I'm like, do not judge LinkedIn based on the demos that are tracked to it. It will never show you track demos ever. It just, it won't. Yeah. I mean, you'll get some sometimes, but if you were to look at it from that perspective, you'd never spend there. So yep. one of the things I had said, and luckily I work with just the coolest VP of demand, John, like he totally gets it. I mean, he's like, yep, it's a long play. I will block and tackle. I'll handle all the, why aren't we getting more demos yet? Why aren't we getting more demos yet? He's like, I'll handle that. You just do what you do. So when we launched it, they had this old structure that they used to run where it was like, it was just traffic campaigns. It was kind of their old boring creative. The new stuff just blew it out of the water. It did so much better. I mean, the cost per click was like a third of what they were paying for the old stuff. And the click-through rate was like 1%, which is ridiculous on LinkedIn. It was really, really good. And what was interesting is it stayed quiet when we launched it in June. And sure enough, it was like, where are the demos? Where are the demos? Then we just reviewed July's results. And it was like the highest month of like free trial and demo requests they've had the whole year. You saw this like decline dip and then it's starting to go back up and August is on track to do really well. So the thing that's I think is difficult with the media part is that it, a lot of it is about patience. And they were really cool about the fact I told them LinkedIn just takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while to get the ultimate result you want, but sometimes it does take a while to get those day-to-day -day results too. It wasn't like I launched it and the first day we were getting 1% click-throughs, right? It's like we had four different creatives. We had carousels, we had statics, we had engagement versus traffic. We had, you know, and in setting LinkedIn is still very clunky. God love them. I don't know why they won't make it easier, but it's like, so I'm managing like 18 different campaigns, <laughs> even though it's like two different kinds of creative, just because of how they set up all the ridiculous targeting. So a lot of it is managing those expectations up front, but just knowing like, what can you correct for with targeting versus what can you correct for with media to try and get down to the person you want? And that's also where the feedback loop was something I had to talk to them about because I'm like, look, all I see is what's in LinkedIn and I'm seeing the metrics improve, but like, I don't know if that's translating to demos for you guys because I don't have access to your Salesforce. I don't have access to your Tableau. So we worked out like a reporting cadence just so I can understand. Looks like it's on about a 45 day lag when we do stuff. So that's managed the expectations of as we launch new things, sometimes they'll stink out of the gate. Like there are certainly times where we launch it and we're just like, wow, it's a week and a half in because now we have a bench line, right? It's like now we're benchmark. It should be around this. So if it's not, I'm like, e, this isn't working, right? But with newer stuff, it's like now we kind of know, okay, initial metrics look good. We should see the output of this over a 45 day period. It's just getting everybody to align that that's how this media works for B2B that's usually the more painful part. And it's just a patience game. And a lot of times it's not the people that you're working with directly. It's like it's board members or it's C-suite. It's people that don't understand how this stuff works, right? So the education curve is like, woo. I mean, it's, <laughs> it'll take your breath away how many times you have to say the same thing over and over sometimes. The media culture was very direct response oriented for a very long time. And B2B was always like, 
print and things that weren't measurable. And I was like, oh, we can measure it. So that means it's going to happen quick. I'm like, nope, just means you get more data. <laughs> Doesn't mean it happens faster. So that's kind of how it looks from the media side. And I think managing the expectations about, yes, we're testing these things, but just because we're testing doesn't mean we'll know tomorrow. That's the biggest role, honestly, that I think a good media person plays. There are a lot, of, I met some people that are really good. Like they understand the platform, they understand the bidding and all the mechanisms, but they just struggle so much at translating that to people that aren't in that world, right? About what to explain, what not to explain, why it's going to matter, what does it mean? They're just so deep into the algorithms and stuff that that part kind of escapes them. So that's from a product launch perspective, that's kind of what it looks like on the media side. Love it. And I love your thoughts about making sure someone knows it's for them, yeah. which doesn't necessarily mean you have to say, hey, IT people who are concerned with whatever security, yeah. if you understand the problem enough, they'll, yeah. they'll like get what it. would be a headline that no one would care about except for except someone for them. Right. Yes. Love that. I think the other thing that a lot of media places don't do, and this is something that you do and you preach religiously, but it's a lot less common on the media side is circling back and just getting feedback from sales. Yeah. Are we able to service these people? Are we getting companies that they're companies we would want? but they have very specific needs that we can't do anything for. One of the roles that I have, we're running into that, where it's like we're getting really great logos that are really interested, but they have these really specific needs that we haven't built yet. Yep. So can I correct for that? Sometimes, sometimes I can't. Sometimes it just is what it is, but it helps me understand, okay, if that's what that looks like and here's how much we're paying, then I know that like of these X leads we're driving, we're finding that this percentage of them we yes. can service and that helps me understand costs. I really wouldn't know that. Otherwise, all I see is like, in these guys' case, they use HubSpot, right? So I'm like, oh, wow, there's all these demos. But then if I look at like what actually moves, I'm like, why is the opportunity rate so low? Yeah. I don't know that it's it's not something I'm doing wrong or that like it's sales hadn't dropped the ball on something. It's just, it's a product fit right now. I think that's the other piece that's super important to understand. And I don't think media people are really ever encouraged to look at that. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. what's your cost per demo? And like, oh, but your cost per sale is so low. What are you, again, what are you doing wrong in the media side? Right, yeah. <laughs> doing anything wrong. <laughs> to quote a movie, Screws fall out, Sarah. The world is an imperfect place. <laughs> to quote the Breakfast Club. So I'm like, <laughs> the world is an imperfect place. Like we're not yeah. going to nail the right thing all the time. Yeah. You mentioned just getting that feedback from sales. Like, how's it going? Who are you hearing from? What are their objections? What's the result of this, right? Like in terms of who is coming to you? Something that was really nice that we did was we set up a Slack channel mm. each time we had a product announcement oh, that's or nice. launch. Everybody's on one thing. Everybody from sales so to rare. the product and marketing was in there, right? So like, Hey, had a demo with this, you know, group today. They loved it. They want to come back when this feature is mm -hmm. available, right? So product knows that if we see that a few times, that's got to go on the road. so much more efficient. Yeah. We've seen like the chain of emails of these things and then suggestions from customers that never make it the product. And you're like, that was a really good suggestion. Is it even on the roadmap? But you don't hear about it till six months later. Like yeah. One other nice thing we did with that channel was like people would post how excited prospects were or customers were. So by the end of the week, we had five or six really great screenshots of like somebody was like, it's like Christmas day over here. This is so exciting. Or like, can't wait for this to come out. This is awesome. We need this, right? And so I was able to put like a graphic together of all these screenshots, anonymize them, of course, but be like, this is how excited people are about this coming out, right? So like anything like that, where you can get that feedback, whether it's negative or positive, you can do something really great with that information. Yeah. Agreed. All right. I have one last little bonus thing I want to talk about that I know has helped 
me during product launches and announcements. And that is a day of war room. This is something that you would set up like, okay, I know that the product is going live on April 7th. And this is especially great for remote teams too, just because it's hard to kind of work all together on a big project like this when you're remote. But like April 7th at 9am, we're all going to jump in this Zoom or whatever you use. And we are going to go down kind of our checklist of like, all right, the landing page is going live at 10. The emails are going out at 10.15. The social post is going live at 10.30, right? Like, And you have kind of dedicated owners for each of those things. You're running through, hey, I'm not going to be able to get Facebook post up. I'm still working on LinkedIn. Hey, can you grab that for me, right? Like you're just working together to work down that list, make sure there's no obstacles as you're doing all of that. Something wonky isn't happening to the form, right? Like, ah, oh, and you're like, I can't launch the page. The form's not working. And now I got to Slack somebody, but like you're all in the room together. So it doesn't matter. You're all there. You can get the help you need. So that has been super helpful. And then again, just like in that same Slack channel, just like updating sales and everybody, right? Like kind of as a celebration and just giving people visibility into how much work has gone into, hey, the landing page just went live. All the emails just went out to 7,000 people. All of these things, I think. Yeah. There's so many moving parts to your product. Yeah. There was a company I worked at the product launches were just a mess. Someone showed me like, hey, when are the ads starting? I'm like, I haven't even gotten specs about the product. I mean, it was like there was the left hand never talked to the right and it was stressful. And then after it would launch, you just had no ideas. Did it go well? Did customer, like there was just, you never got any feedback. And it made it hard to be motivated and feel like you had any ownership in it because you, it was, you just operated like in this vacuum where you're like, oh, I'm just supposed to run ads for it. I'm just launching what they told me to launch, but I have no context for what's happening or why. So I like, I love all the context that gives for what everybody's doing to push everything in the right direction. All right. I think that's everything everyone would want to know about. That's it. You're Product 37 minutes away from a perfect launch. I know. It's like we, we went for it with our first. This is like longer than most of our episodes. I know. We went for it with our, with our episode one for the season. That's right. So yeah, I'm so happy to be back. And I'm going to personally, and I was joking with Jess, apparently we can't blur the background <laughs> with what we use. So like... I run a side candle business, which some people know and some people don't. So like, if you see any weird looking tools or like, <laughs> a lot of wax, <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, I'm not a contractor or anything. Like that's my wax melter over there. So in case I was like, what is all that industrial stuff behind her? I, I normally But hey, also out. check out candles because. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like if you didn't, I do corporate orders as Jess knows, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I do. They're amazing. Labor. That's right. I was like, I really feel like I should explain the stainless steel table and the, <laughs> the, the candle sign behind me and the yeah. wax melter. I hid my heat gun and like all my jars and stuff. <laughs> I was running around putting everything away. So yeah, you'll probably see that in the background for the foreseeable future, but we wear many hats here. So right. <laughs> it's 2023 people normalize all this side hustles, baby. <laughs> home and work. They're all one. Exactly. So <laughs> next week we are going to be talking about da, 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 influencer marketing in B2B, which I'm like super excited to talk me about because I feel like it just doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's such yeah. an interesting thing to me because yeah. it was so dominated by like TikTok influencers for yeah. you know, for so long. I'm like, I love seeing B2B get their fair share. So me too. Yeah. That will be next week's topic, but hope you all enjoyed having us on video if you watched it. And yeah. if it was just audio, hello again. Hello and again. We're happy to be back for season two. We're so glad to have you back. Like, I know. So glad. We were so excited. We're like, we're recording today. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, everyone have a great week. And uh, we will see you next time. That's marketing, baby. That's marketing, baby. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to That's Marketing, baby. If you dig what we're putting down, be sure to subscribe and share with your marketing besties. Because, you know, hot marketers don't gatekeep. And if you're like, this is not enough, I need more, we got you. Rants and Raves is the official newsletter of That's Marketing Baby. Every week, Susan and I share one thing we love and loathe in the world of marketing. Get on the list at that'smarketingbaby.com. Okay, Okay. bye. bye. Bye.